Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to do a retrospective on our Rise of the Rune Lords campaigns, and we've got the whole party here, um, or at least most of it. Guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? I am Mark. You know me as the GM and sometimes guest on this podcast. Hi, I'm Hi. Nick. I was Rufus the Rogue. I am Jimmy. I was playing Arave the Bard. Unfortunately, uh, our boy Enoch, who's playing Khan, the kineticist, is not able to make it. As he, uh, is, he is here in spirit, as he is worshipping the Holy Spirit at present time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> j- just, just for completeness, um, I played the Wooden Wanderer. And, and uh, I was playing Kenzo, the student of the streets, Samurai. Get that delicious homebrew... Goodness, yummy, from, yummy homebrew, right? Yeah. So, and then um, we've also played previously in several games together. Our buddy has his Hills Rebels. Nick ran Iron Gods, and here we are at the end of Rise of the Rune Lords after three years, I think. Is it really that long? Wow. <laughs> yeah. That long? Yeah. I feel like it's two, yeah, that two and a half more spread across yeah. three calendar. Yeah, I think that's probably right. We started in like 20, um, 2015, then we hit 2016, then 2017. Something so, like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, it's been quite the ride. All right, so for those of you listening at home, this is uh, a retrospective on Rise of the Rune Lords. If you're planning to play in that game or you know, so on and so forth, this will contain some pretty heavy spoilers. Keep in mind that we did not run the campaign exactly as written because we had some players who had played it previously, so some modifications were made in the early game, and kind of persisted throughout. But, you know, you've been warned, and with that said, here we go. What would you guys, uh, you know, what were your favorite parts of the game? Let's start with uh, Buddy and Fucking crickets. (laughs) Yeah, oh. Oh, you wounded me. Do you say start with Buddy, or are we all chiming in? <laughs> go go, 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 ahead, go ahead. So, yeah. so something that I liked, yet also didn't like, but mostly actually liked, was being thrown into the D&D world where, in like the first chapter, my character lost a leg, and I had to figure out how to get around that, or to be functional. And I thought oh. it was hilarious, and also... Oh yeah, this like is your first D&D introduction. game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, so like, no, no, uh, no holding back there for the newbie. Yeah, no, just, um... Your favorite part was when you lost your leg? I I liked it a lot. I don't know if I'd say my favorite part, but something that stands out to me. Yeah, that's that's fair, that's fair. Yeah, so, basically, um, what happened was, is very early on, Jimmy's character met a bunyip, and the bunyip critted his leg off. And that was, like, his introduction to D&D, basically. So... Yeah, actually, similarly... Um, this kind of on on these very early adventures when the party's still kind of not quite all there with their power levels, like like uh, trying to almost we uh, so right after that encounter actually was kind of like dashing across the beach, um, trying to get into the the, the goblin fortress, um, and like you know literal busy dodging giant arrows and trying to climb up a cliff when half the party couldn't climb. Uh, <laughs> it was very much kind of like a, a 
know, it almost felt like kind of like like a beach of Normandy type scene. Yeah, when, we need to get off the goddamn beach. But briefly, you got yeah. So the, the party comes out of this cave. Like none of them are really good at swimming because it's like, oh, Dex's Dex options are are in this season. Who needs swim? And then oh shit, we need swim. Then like this bugbear is just firing this great bow you know, hailing them full of arrows and, you know, they're just trying to survive and climb up this fucking cliff to get out of the, like, shit show. Mm. I mean, to be fair, the only class I think I'd really build swim on is maybe a barbarian. Uh, a fighter would be too heavy with the full plate. Like, swimming is generally very difficult for most parties. True. Um, I, think, I think the bigger hurdle, because the water was common and, you know, static DCs for swimming actually aren't that bad, but the bigger hurdle was was climbing the cliff, the cliff face, because um, um, that that doesn't have like a great base DC, and like I think maybe me and Kenzo were the only ones <laughs> with real climb, and no I one think had I like had climb from level one. So yeah, yeah, and and none of, nobody else. None oh, of yeah, the, I was trying to acrobatics my way up. I do remember yeah. you acrobaticsing your way up. <laughs> it actually started a, a debate on this podcast because we weren't sure whether or not that was like good practice or not. You know what I mean? Because, like, on one hand, I kind of get it, you know, like, people need to get up the cliff somehow, and that actually makes a certain amount of sense, but it also sets a precedent fairly early that, oh, well, maybe Rufus just doesn't need to ever take climb ever, and he can just use acrobatics for things that acrobatics wasn't meant for. <laughs> maybe you can just bullshit your way through all these situations. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Um, so, alright, that was that was Jimmy's kind of favorite moment what about you mango what what did you uh... uh that that was that was mine the uh the 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 the, the cliff the the beaches, the cliff, the the beaches of normandy um, <laughs> um all right and what about you what about um rufus what did you what did you think nick i think my favorite might have actually been dropping zanesh's tower on her yeah, that was, that, was that, that, that was good. That was pretty sweet. Um, like that was probably me. I'm more creative. Yeah, and then stabbing your way out <laughs> to get your uh, artifact up. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Because I was like, hey, how many people died there? How many did I need to get in how many turns? I think I met my objective. And, and no, not not only that, but um. Like it, 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 from kind of like a, a pulled back perspective, this is for for uh, for you and me and, and and Mark. This is the second time running through that encounter. Yeah. Um, and the first time went very differently, also with with dramatic um, consequences. Dramatic consequence for for Nick's character. In I would the argue first... that the first time was bullshit, but <laughs> <laughs> the, the... We, we know we know your feelings on that. Uh, just as the eyes was the first time we we, we ran this. Um, when this scene happened, Nick was playing a, a big old paladin, and he leapt off the roof after the villain, and the fall didn't kill him, but the next attack from the, uh... Thank uh, you for telling the story correctly. <laughs> yeah, the... He jumped off a giant tower, and the fall didn't quite kill him, but the next attack from from the villain did, which was, uh, a quite, quite... That game was, was quite the game, um... There was a lot of different things working. Yeah, I will point out, uh, Mark's. So uh, let's kind of expand the topic a little bit. This uh, was this was run through number two of Rise of the Rune Lords for us. So yeah, a lot of stuff. 
not only that, but but for this run, uh, Mark implemented uh, the the automatic bonus progression system, um, in part uh, to kind of curb the excesses in the party. I, I think, which funnily enough, were um, both extremely typified by both me and Nick on opposite ends of the spectrum. In that game, um, Nick went for the most optimized power gaming way to do things, and I spent none of my money on the big eight and instead bought things like um, cloaks of eagle ca- of eagle capes and uh, like or like cloaks of eagle flying and like spikes of of respite um, and all sorts of dumb stuff and so uh, this is also kind of like a breaking point for that where Nick with his like full kitted out uh, gear you know jumps off the tower and does massive amounts of damage and I believe after that, um, uh, uh, Matt, who in, in the old game was playing, uh, was playing a, a cleric, he like teleports down the tower. And I had my cloak of evil cape, so I was able to fly down the tower. It's like this. This is this is an example of, of how stupid can be. Um, and so, moving into the uh, into the automatic bonus progression, I think was it was a great way to kind of keep us minimize all, the yeah. It was the, just, the power it's a differential. Win. Yeah. Um. Actually, I think for a lot of us, uh, this was the first, the first time playing with the automatic bonus progression, right? Like, I think the rules came out right around the time that we started playing this game. It came out with Unchained. Unchained, yeah. I, I, I was, I was happy with how that turned out. Yeah. Well, what, 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 for the people, I guess maybe Jimmy can't answer because he hasn't played in the game without automatic bonus what? progression. Nope. Um, but for the people who 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 have played with the ones before, how do you, how do you guys like the automatic bonus progression stuff? I don't find them to be perfect. I think if I were writing automatic bonus progression rules, I would change them up a little bit. Um, kind of in how in how some of the you know some of the things work and some of the uh, upgrades get doled out. But uh, you know, I, I'd say it's mostly you know it's not a bullseye, but it it's 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 good. As the most kind of like mechanically adept among us, Nick, how, what do you what do you think of? Do you, of still, do you still hate them? Do you still think they're bullshit? I understand why it's done, and it works very well in parties where you have people like Mango who will not bother to actually progress. I still don't like how it was an inhibitor on me progressing the way I wanted, but I understand why it exists and why it was implemented. Actually, I, I, I think that's a fair point, right? Yeah. Like, want, wanting to play super optimized is 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 a fair kind of, of I think play style. Well, I mean, I you think... and I had a huge argument about it, but you essentially won when you pointed out how you can't um, restrict player choice while also. Well, no. What, player so choice. what it actually is is that it fe- so it looks like this is this system is a replacement, but it's actually kind of not. It is a strict power downgrade because whereas normally you have one hundred percent of your gold in order to be spending on these kinds of upgrades, now you are you are only budgeted fifty percent of that gold, and your other fifty percent of your gold you still get. You just have to kind of throw that someplace else, um, and so that interaction of of like simultaneously deactivating your ability to spend gold on um, kind of optimization in that way, uh, I think is the most kind of cogent like anti point yeah. to to using bonus progression. 
At the same time, though, we'd also have someone like Mango who had spent zero percent of his gold on these types of progression. I mean, it's not even just uh, fifty percent audit. It's not even just Mango. It's uh, it's kind of everybody. You know, Uh, Enoch didn't spend. Uh, a bunch of his gold. I spent gold, but I was spending my gold a lot of the time I, on kind of like defensive things that, you know, didn't necessarily I mean, work well for me. If people weren't going to spend their gold, I could develop a standard progression of okay, if you spend all of your gold on just these things, here's how you would progress. <laughs> right, right. And I, I think <coughs> I think part of this too is it's it's also kind of like how you slot. Like I I think the automatic bonus progression becomes a little bit less kind of onerous when it's replacing a typical loot system, which is like, you're not guaranteed to, like... You're not guaranteed loot, basically. Yeah, right? Like, when when you're playing a regular, or a, a typical game, right, you could get ahead of the curve because, you know... The, That's the, how the it turned ta- out, yeah. Yeah, the loot table or the, the thing says, you get a spear plus two and you've got a spear user, where if you don't have one... Then you have to sell that for half and get like half value out of that. Um, so, I think like this is a this is an interesting discussion, but there's also like a ton of stuff we've kind of previously like. I, I feel like this topic's been discussed a lot on the podcast. Um, um I don't know if we have, but uh, if, can, I, can I say something on the previous points or just like the sure. yeah, yeah. general? So, like, I liked it because as a new player, it's kind of hard to figure out what items you want to buy, but also in a sense that you should probably learn that because you're gonna want it that kind of, like, impact for your character later. So it kind of, like, cheats you out of some some uh, learning experiences. I actually, so, I think item systems, I have, I, you know, the more I play D&D, the more kind of its flaws become, uh, right. uh, the, the, its, its flaws become clear to me. I actually don't know that there really is a great way to do items it just is a ton of work in order to to, uh in order to get items done and it feels like there's not a lot of attention um kind of both from the gm or from the players right like to to do items one to do items one way or another um one of the nice things you know so for instance the rules is written I'm, i'm essentially using the rules as written in the um in, in Hell's Rebels, right, where there are marketplaces, you know, every every week they they swap out, uh, you know, items of how whatever kind of power level determined by the settlement, all of those mechanics. And there's actually a lot that goes into kind of generating items, like, each week for that. But if I were to, you know, spend 20 minutes, you know, for every in-game week creating out these item lists, even with things like itemless generators that exist online and I'm actually really butthurt because the one that I used that was actually really good is no I can't find it anymore I don't know what happened to it um so but it's like 20 it's like 20 minutes of work on my end for potentially no benefit if nobody if you know nobody Nobody wants wants to go buy the item you know yeah that's that's an issue that I ran into initially with um like Sandra's market list right just like kind of throw some shit on there but if it was like you know, if people really want specific things, it's kind of hard to be like, "Oh, well, this is this is equivalent," and then it's like, "Well, no, it's not really." And it's like, "Oh, okay." But um, something else that, speaking of itemization, that I'd kind of like to get into is like, how do you guys feel about like the DR rules and armor? I, I feel I like they, it made sense. I feel like they were it was pretty impactful in the early game, and then just kind of became negligible as time went on. Like when Wait. you're when you start taking like twenty, thirty, you know, points of damage in a hit, it's kind of like, well. You kind of want that extra AC more than you do the damage reduction. 
But yeah, you know. yeah. The um, what is it? The, the, the DR kind of effectively becomes swap out. Like effectively, what it does is it turns for every ACP, it turns, uh, it kind of re- turns a hit. Like if you hit for like five damage, you've got an ACP of three. That you're uh, getting three non-lethal instead of three lethal, but right. You know, that, that, if that three, three, if that was three AC, you might not have taken any damage. But, but that that's that, that's not quite yeah. my point. The, 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 right. three, the three damage, um, kind of in terms of healing it back, becomes one damage, um, which uh, which obviously isn't as pro- like combat healing is kind of iffy in the in the first place, but like it definitely does slide that scale. It's like oh, eight. Regular, like, like on, let's say, let's, you know, your Cure Light Wounds, right? Cure Light Wounds at level 2, 1d8 plus 2, you've got 8 damage on you. If it's 8, um, 8 regular damage, then you need, like, a d6 or higher to heal it all off. If it's 4, or if it's, um, you know, 3 non-lethal and 5 lethal, then that's actually only 6 damage that needs to be healed, so you need to roll a, a 4 better. So it kind of... Um, I think it actually just like it, it, it helps survival early on, and um, like the, the the point about the extra AC, I, I don't think is even that salient because the armor with the higher AC has the higher DR anyway, right? It's, well, it's, it's that's not usually true, right? Because like the entire that, point of the system is like basically the, in the early game, it's kind of like well, you just want to, or in mid game, let's say you want to rush towards a breastplate, a chain shirt, or full plate. Like, the other options for armor are just strictly worse. Because, like, it's, um, like, you know, 20 or 100 gold doesn't matter that much. So the goal with the system was to be like, okay, well, maybe you take chainmail instead of a breastplate because the chainmail gives you more DR or something like that. Like, it's just... Right, right, but but it, but typically heavier armor gives you more ACP and thus... Well, yeah, I mean, more, just, like, on the whole, yes... Like, um, my, my, point, my point was more, like, within an armor class, like, within, like, heavy armor, rather than, like, you know, because, like, full plate is just strictly better than half plate. And, uh, uh, like, full plate gives you, like, plus 9 AC and, like, minus 2 or 3 ACP, whereas, like, half plate is, like, minus 4 ACP and plus 8 AC. Yeah, but you're also getting into hundreds of gold at that point, you know what I mean? Like, full yeah, plate is, like, yeah. 2,000 gold that's kind of rivaling magic items. I mean, mo- you know, most it, – it, it it all kind of is moot to an extent because most plate balances out to about plus 10 AC if you can maximize with a dex bonus. Um, you know, full plate is plus 9, but it only has a plus 1 dex bonus to it. Um, and if you go down the list, kind of starting at medium armor, most everything is like, well, plus 6, plus 4 or whatever, and it all adds up to 10 anyway. So if you pump your AC high enough, right, you don't need – Full plate, you can take, you know, whatever banded mail, whatever some of the other ones are, uh, in order to fill in the in order to fill in the gap. But those those armor check penalties are really punishing. I, you know, to be honest with you, I've I've talked about this a little bit before. Is I think that the real punishment is <coughs> movement, <coughs> the movement uh, decrease that comes with medium armor uh, and that comes with uh, heavy armor. And I think that's where, you know, if if I were to try and buff heavy armor to get people into full plate, um, I think I would target that and kind of say, all right, well, this is going to be less rough uh, for you. But, you know, ACP is, you know, is its own reward uh, to a certain extent. I, I actually think that the, one of the other changes you made, Mark, was, was medium armor um, gets 25 
uh, foot move speed instead of 20 foot on a 30 foot base. Correct? Yeah, that's a, I, that's a change I'm just going to kind of keep, I think. Cause... Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I, think it, I think it properly... Medium armor is kind of this weird place where it's like, you take medium armor if you do, if like if you don't have proficiency in heavy armor, and it's like that's kind of yeah, like iffy. In practice, like, have you guys ever not just kind of gone through the typical like kind of general progression where you, you just always get a chain shirt, and then when you get proficiency in heavy armor, you always just get full plate? Yeah, have you ever not done that? Not really. I think like there's like something to be said for like characters that are like the mages, where you um, gradually get access to heavier armor, yeah. but you know, and then you can kind of build a dex or not. But I think for most people, it's like if you have dex, you stay in light armor. If you don't, you go heavy armor. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's 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 either light armor or the heaviest armor you can wear. Um, um. Although, like, yeah. like, um, I think medium armor always kind of has this. It's kind of the shittier version of both. Like, it's not really useful. Yeah, the ones who really wear medium armor are barbarians. And, or, like, clerics, I think. clerics and oracles. But do they yeah. not get heavy armor in Pathfinder? No, in Pathfinder, clerics don't get heavy armor, which is okay. very smart. Yeah. Honestly, given the feats and everything, I think getting armor, heavy armor proficiency in a cleric as a, like a feat investment is somewhat worthwhile. I kind of think so. Yeah. Um, anyway... Like, it, it's, it's it's also one that can wait a little while because like you can yeah because Usually, because because yeah. heavy armor is expensive you can like go grab that feat a little bit further down the line and then and then but when you've got the money to buy your full set of uh of 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 full plate um or stone plate as it may be uh but uh yeah uh, sorry to get you off Mark what were you, what were you gonna say um. No, I just think like I think the DR system and like a little bit of changes to armor adds a little bit more flexibility into the system and adds some nuance to it. But you know, it does kind of. I think for newer players, it's kind of worth taking out. So like in my next game, I don't think I'll be using that system. Just, I mean, yeah, so that's the thing that I think is uh, you know that, like all any changes, any uh, rules like this, all of these add bandwidth right to what the player needs to be thinking about and keeping track of. So even if I might think that this is a more perfect version of armor, <clears throat> it's adding more. It's adding more bandwidth to what yeah. players need to be you know kind of thinking about. I think the one thing the the one thing that makes it uh, the one thing that I really really like about it is the predominance of non-lethal means there's a good chance like it's easier to go unconscious and come back you know you know in a way in the yeah. fight there's like there's a little bit less of that one shottiness um, yeah this, this, i thought this that is was like this this is like how like <clears throat> hard and orc ferocity are, are player killers um because like it, it puts you down before you're before an attack can can kill you outright yeah um, yep um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I think like that was the goal, and honestly, like I I was pretty I was pretty happy with how that turned out because it was like you know you can get a little bit jacked up, but not like you get killed. So I think that was um, as a GM that was really rewarding to see because then it's like, well, do I go over and you know get my buddy up, or you know I don't have to worry about him bleeding out if I don't like, do anything. Like you mentioned before, it was more impactful in the early stages of the game. Which I think is definitely okay, because that's the time where your healing is really minimal, and you're kind of like, I don't know, just like having more more challenge with that sort of thing anyways, so. 
Yeah, I mean, if on, life bottom. The, the, on the flip side of that token, if you want your game to be more lethal and more dangerous, it makes it less less that way. Right. Um. But you know that that, that that's a matter of how you want to run your game. It's, I don't think that's like a, a good or a bad thing. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm happy with how it um I'm happy with how it turned out at the end of the day. So going so as far as like other system stuff um. I don't really know. Like, what else did I change? Like, as far as like mechanics and stuff go, because like we'll, I guess we'll loop back into the plot at some point. But like, any other mechanics? Um, I, so were? I think, I think some of them end up kind of falling off, and or or just never got engaged with in the first place. Right? Like, you had this meta magic point system. You had like you 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 used combat focus, but um, I like. Kenzo kind of engaged with that, but not super a lot. Wait, what's combat focus? Or the um the martial focus? The, the one where oh, you combat stamina? I didn't yeah, think combat one. stamina. I was yeah. using it a bit, but I fell out. I think it's I think it's a really good system. Like I really like combat stamina, but it's like yeah. it's it's hard to adjudicate it without it being like you know, like it's hard to get that sweet spot where it's like enough people have it that it's useful and it's being used. Whereas like you don't want to become a one player like subsystem. Yeah. I also don't think like we so much needed it. It's, it's like, I don't think we wanted for power if that makes sense. Right. Um, like, yeah, I think it was fine. Um, I, like, like I said, I don't think you like that. The, the system, like, um, the other mechanical changes were also, you, you made some changes to, ranges on spells and that came into play a little bit earlier on but um we for the most part we tended to be in smaller arenas and yeah um like, if i'm going to be frank about it sometimes i just forgot um yeah i think i think in the future i'm going to just kind of go with the ranges as written it was more like you know i just didn't i wanted to preempt like any like sniping because i think sniping is it's like it's one of those issues where you can't really use it against the players, but also, um, you know, if you let the players do it, it kind of sucks. So mm-hmm. it just for the sake of like my own sanity, I was like, yeah, we can't have this. Yeah, I, I actually think that like, like, like I, I think that some some of these rule changes like are to fix problems when the players are going to try and abuse them. But I, I think, to our credit as a table, we didn't try and do that too right. much. I think, uh, like, part of this is... Um, so, uh, I, mean, I, think part, I think one of the issues we run into is, like, this Mark-Nick vicious power cycle where, like, you know, so in the first game we ran with Nick, I was, like, very kind of abusive towards my players. So Nick comes in with, like, this, like, nope, I'm going to be immune to everything. I'm going to do lots of damage. And then, like, it just turns into this, like, cycle. So, you know. It's not I mean, good or bad. It's just the way it is. Reign of Winter was very power heavy for everyone except for Buddy's character, and True. I feel like after that one, where the the ramps were basically who can be the strongest. And yeah, yeah. Like Aaron has irrevocably changed how you view magic. Yeah, it was. It was pretty. Yeah, that is true. I don't know that we have as natural a power gamer uh, from like a magic perspective. I don't think like our wizard players tend to be super like. Because even I'm even I'm even thinking to Chuckler, who right now is playing an Arcanist, is trying is you know really kind of like the only other full um, 
like full caster. I, you know, like I guess the wooden wanderer, but let's be real, he doesn't count. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, you know, he's very, you know, he's very much not. He, he's kind of like coloring within the lines and not trying to like get cheap or cheesy. Um, so. Yeah, he's 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 playing a blaster, which isn't super optimal necessarily, but it's 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 fun, right? Like, yeah. Then that's that's sometimes people want to have fun. Yeah, I mean, Eric was the kind of guy that went from? looking for that he went looking Dude, for wings spells. of flurry or whatever. Yeah, like... wings, yeah, it was like dragon wings of fury, which is just fireball, but selective, but s- so slightly it's better. Strictly speaking better than fireball in every way right it does the exact it's fire damage right it's however many you know d6 the ranges were the same right it's a third level spell it's evocation everything is the exact same except you can change who it hits and it's just stuff like that Ooh, excuse me stuff like that which is just like oh god come on that's such bullshit yeah so you know um, I think the systems overall worked out well. I think there was something th- like was there anything that was like excessively annoying or like restrictive? The tournament just, arc. No, I'm kidding. Well, I, I mean, like we're like, why don't we just go ahead and scream all day? Let's just go ahead and get into if the tournament arc. If there's anything that's been talked to death on this podcast, right? It's the fucking, the tournament, fucking arc. tournament arc. I, I like haven't even been involved in those discussions, so I do kind of want to yeah, so, interface with that a little bit now, if we could. Yeah, so, so I was. I was thinking about this a little bit last night after after we finished. Um, it's kind of to, to kind of like uh, bring up some like the kind of like <laughs> the main thing is is that as, as we've talked about before in the podcast, I think a a big part of the problem um, wasn't necessarily that the tournament arc w- w- was inherently a problem, but like it it essentially functioned as a dungeon. And it was a dungeon that took a lot of real world time, um, and I know. Yeah. Recently, uh, to, to compare this to something in my, in my game, um, in my Wrath of the Righteous game, uh, something similar happened. We have been clearing out this dungeon since July, um, in real world time, and we just finished it. And kind of at the end of it, something I've observed is that, like, you know, by the end of it, everyone's out of character. Um, no one's kind of engaging in it on the RP level because everybody's only engaging on it on the mechanics level. Um, and I think it takes a little while and the right kind of setup to get back into playing it as a as an RPG rather than just as a mechanics game. Right, as Diablo uh, or whatever. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. See, I kind of disagree. Well, I don't disagree. I actually think that holds true, but to me that's not the principal concern with the tournament arc. The principal concern with the tournament arc was that it it was that it was a pacing problem, right? Because right. each of the fights was so difficult and we only had 3 hours per thing right and there were like 12 fights to get through so it's either 12 sessions back to back which is a month or it's three months rather which is an extremely long time but you actually like to do something which is different which is to thread story beats in between there right but so those two things right now you have all these fights in the middle of your kind of story beats the story itself is a convoluted conspiracy in the first place so it's not the most straightforward thing and on top of that we are not super great at holding to our own time schedule and so there's all these you know dropped sessions late sessions 
pushing things back, you know, all these other kinds right. of things. It so drew out. It, it's not that the fight. It's not that the fight was drawn out. It's that the story that was interlaid between the fight was stretched to the breaking point, and so of, it was yeah. impossible to understand each like week to week what was yeah. actually going on. We always had to have these really in depth recaps because I was like, wait, holy fuck, what the shit? Yeah, is going I think on? I think like I think that <clears> kind <throat> of was sort of the learning lesson there. I think the term in arc, like honestly, I think the. The theory was quite good. The reality was not, and it would function very well if it were, were its own campaign, like a mini campaign, right? Like where it was documented and it was a little bit more involved. I think that would have functioned well, kind of as a standalone thing. But in the context of like the greater campaign, it didn't function. I mean, I actually think to a uh, to a large degree, you um, you actually can you like like certain things are work really well inside of the tournament arc, right? Like, the you know, the one where Kenzo duels What's-Her-Face, finds out, you know, like, that that whole thing, getting the scarves, because that was one session, one day, where the goal and everything, all of that stuff was, was compacted into one thing, that actually hung together really, really well. Yeah. And I think the same thing can be said for certain other, uh, you know, bits of this, right? Like, obviously, the super evil criminal team and running around uh you know uh yeah I th- yeah like I that's think- that, like that stuff all worked but it all worked on a micro scale right because we were walking into a session and we played the scene to completion inside of that session right it what what, what wasn't working was the macro side of it connecting the dots uh and getting kind of from point a to point b yeah kind of agree with that and i think sort of the term and arc did kind of all out the game just because i think there was a lot going on and it just sort of like that kind of killed the momentum we had so what did you guys think so what did you guys think of the stuff before the tournament arc like part one and two in sandpoint and you know dealing with the skinsaw man and the goblins and all that especially because like i did have to kind of remix it because we'd had so many players that were previously exposed to like the major plot points of that arc which i really like the haunted house yeah, what would you like about it? Um, oh, I just like... Well, so what I, I like the whole... Um, you take a challenge and you segment it into like a bunch of rooms and things you go through. Just like a series of kind of concise individual challenges that themselves are very flavorful. Um, yeah, so so I, I think this kind of like is, is a little bit more broad than just the pre-tournament stuff. But like, I feel like kind of having run a portion of Rise of the Rune Lords and, and read most of it, um, that the, the adventure path feels mildly schizophrenic, right? Like, like that stuff is, like, the Sandpoint stuff is all cool and fun, but it doesn't feel very connected to the Magnemar stuff. It doesn't feel very connected to the Turtleback Fairy and uh, Hook and Mountains. And, like, the core, like, or yeah. in, the, in the rewrite. Um, I, I, I think, I think in, 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 in both, like... I think in both cases, in fact, I, I think you did a little, like, you did a much better job kind of, like, threading those kinds of, of pieces together because you skipped a lot of the the kind of, like, weirdness in, like, the, was like, books, like, four, four or five Four areas. or five or, like, fucking, like, we'll, we'll get to that, but. Yeah, but. Is, is um, that the giant, not giants. Yeah. That's, like, the giants section, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, like, so, so something that, like, f- from both playing in your game twice through this and running my a piece of this on my own is that like, I think the players are, I think supposed to all be like, Oh, this Sahedron rune is everywhere. What's, what's up with that? 
but in practice, that just never really seems to happen, right? Like, of course, there's like, a rune that's everywhere. It, you know yeah. what the title of the game is? Yeah, right. Like, it's like, it's. I I, I think this is this is just kind of a uh, a consequence of of the way adventure paths are written because they're they're kind of written simultaneously by different authors. Um. Uh. Not that that's like a, a, a you know, a, a problem or anything. I, I just think no. that like yeah, it's just kind of like well, adventure paths are written from like six different people, and yeah. I think like they've gotten better about this in recent years. But Ruin Lords is like clear. It's like well, episode one is like your traditional goblins of Taggart Town. Okay, if there's a demon cult, got it. Episode two is like nah, but we're now we're Hammer Horror, and then episode three is like okay, now we're Texas Chainsaw, and then episode four is like oh, it's against the giants. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna disagree with you there, dude. I'm fucking running one of the most recent ones they've ever made, and it is exactly that same way. It I is actually exactly fucking the same. hate it. I think it's oh, the worst. that sucks. I mean, you know, it's you know, I get it, right? Like the realities of publishing and everything like yeah. that. It's just like it's it's yeah, it's not a criticism of like Paizo is like ability to do it like that's not the thing. it's just like that's kind of the way it is i think if it was and, and i also get you know so for instance if it were me what i would prefer is to kind of just say all right whoever right write six books it's gonna take you a year and a half you know what i mean right like instead of a couple of months and we're gonna budget right we're gonna start that writing now in a year and a half it's gonna get released and it's gonna be like kind of a single <clears throat> cohesive whole but they also want to do things like tie in other mechanics, make sure that their pipeline, you know, is popping out uh, relevant uh, source books uh, and, you know, like the, the, the kind of the floppies uh, that come with it. I get, you know, and so I get all of that stuff, right? Um, that makes, um, I don't know, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So anyway, um, going kind of forward past the tournament arc <laughs> the uh, like so in the core adventure what happens is basically you find out like oh there's giants you know and you go do giant things for a little bit then you find out oh there's Thassalon and then you go do this side dungeon to get the weapons to go fight Karzuk and then you spend a lot of time climbing up the mountain to get to this city and then you you know you make your way through the final dungeon then you fight Karzuk but it's like I kind of would like to see the city or whatever it's called I can, I mean, you can find, like, I can... Oh, no, no, I know. Yeah, get you that information. But, um, suffice to say, like, I just found the back half of the AP to be, like, not really enjoyable to run or read. So, I just just decided to scrap it and replaced a lot of it with stuff from Shattered Star, which I felt was a little bit more interesting. And then, you know, of course, we did cut a lot of content at the very end because, you know, we just, I was just ready to be done. Yeah, I also think um, that most people's kind of character arcs had already completed by that point. My arc was basically yeah. done. Uh, Mango's arc was basically done. Um, How did you guys feel about like the individual character arcs? I know Enoch's not here, but yeah, he kind of didn't really get one. But yeah, I don't was, really know was, that he's like. Really, I feel like I should have really... put more effort into mine. Like I, think I feel yours like was okay. I enjoyed what would, it, what but would you I feel say like that I could you, could, you, could you like give me a Cliff Notes version of what you think your arc was? Jimmy, I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective. From my perspective. Uh, thinking of that. So, like, a bard, someone that just kind of travels around, but having, like, a past, but not, like, having, 
like a true backstory and like with my character being like a changeling which never really came up particularly often like i wouldn't have like parents per se so i'm like the child of like a monster type thing so there'd have to be some sort of like connection or like um like accepting that type of thing which would be my backstory so i don't know if i delved into that very well in my tale like there's the whole like i'm not telling anyone i'm this thing because in character i wouldn't do that but i never really felt like doing that in the rp way because i didn't know what i would want to do with regards to that yeah we did that but not like in great like detail or it was like relatively like quick i guess yeah i think like um yeah, I don't know. I just think that there was kind of room for that that we didn't really get to. But overall, you know, the campaign, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, like, the the comment about, like, the RP, like, Mango's comment kind of dovetails with Buddies and the tournament arc because it kind of got people out of the RP mindset in a lot of ways, even though that was kind of the opposite intention. But, you know, I think it's kind of hard to RP a lot. Like, what? okay, also, what do you guys think of the, like, Turtleback Fairy? Because I definitely played it up to be a little bit more, like, Silent Hill than, you know, as it is originally written, which is pretty just basic, I felt. What do you guys I, think I, of that? I like the whole kind of, like, old magic type of feel, which is, like, kind of... It was, like, Silent Hill and kind of creepy, but then, like, the way is also, like, next to, like, the old... I love that Silent that Hill 2 theme. I thought that mm-hmm. was super great. Man, losing SoundCloud access in Roll20 is, like... Yeah. Got through the heart. I did figure out that that's what the, the theme was. Which is cool. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I enjoyed, uh... I enjoyed Turtleback Fairy. I enjoyed, uh... I, you know, I, I got into Sandpoint and Magmar. I think all of those places, the world building was done. You know? It was, it was, uh... It was solid. Yeah, I think, I think my biggest, like, kind of... The thing that pissed me off the most is, like... I think when they, like, took away the SoundCloud stuff, and then, like, my computer crashed, and I lost all my notes, that it was, mm-hmm. like, that was kind of the death blow for the campaign... Like, in terms of, like, my, like, ability to connect with it. Because, like, I put all this work into, like, this music, and then it's like, oh. Because, like, the music was really good. I really enjoyed um, using dude, yeah, the music. I know. Kill me now, dude. My, yeah. I have these ridiculously long playlists. I was so ready for book three of Hell's Rebels to just throw all of this Skyrim music because it's so perfect to that, like... Well, now we're going from town to town helping out, like, you know, the countryside. We're not in the city anymore, right? And it just kills me that I don't get to actually use it. I've been waiting so long for this. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, that's... that's uh, it's it, it kind of pulls kind of like a... Uh, in terms of kind of like we're, we're talking about, like, you know people being pulled into the game, right? Like, that's an immersive element that's, that's definitely missing. And... Um, you know, to your credit, Mark, I definitely got a hint of that because... Um, Sorry, through, I, I missed that. Could you repeat that? Uh, so I, I haven't quite finished yet. Like, to your credit, um, even though, like, I don't know, like, how you did it, but, like, I was, ju- I just let um, Ecstasy of Gold play while you were doing the intro for Karzuk, and it matched up perfectly. So that really worked for me, um, and I think... It worked for me and whoever was watching the stream, um, because obviously I can't play it for everybody. But 
aces to you for making my day a little bit better yesterday. See, so, what I want to what I want to figure out, I guess, <clears throat> in theory, is a way to do this through Mumble, right? Like, you know, like a jukebox that I, you know, like I create a unique Mumble account that's like a jukebox of like my Spotify or something, you know, something like that, right? Yeah. But the thing is, it's just like even the thought of putting all of the work mm-hmm. into recreating the playlist is like, ugh. I, I uh, got because it was uh, it took so long, right? Like you know, this was part of months of prep work to have all these different playlists up, and so even just the idea of okay, now I have to go back and start from kind of ground zero to get it all uh, to get it all up and running is just like ugh. Yeah, but I don't know. So the Turtleback Fairy was cool. I really liked that section. I thought you know the Terminal Arc was if it had been streamlined a little better, that would have been cool. Um, how did you guys feel about the end game? Because I know, like after Turtleback Fairy, it was it just sort of drifted a lot. But... We're not super sure about what to do, and we didn't really. I don't think we really came to conclusions. It was like Fanpoint or Magnamar. We're just gonna try and do both. And yeah, and then just I don't know. How did you guys made a decision? How did you guys feel about the final fight? Like against uh, Karzik himself? How how did you feel about that? Um, I would have liked. A slightly more intermediate connection between the two than like fight Zanesha or not Zanesha, um, Jataxia and then go right there. Like an antechamber fight or something. Just to yeah. represent I feel as though there. that's kind of just natural to, uh, yeah, you perhaps. know, the fact that we're just, ru- you know, like we're not, you're not going to be able to get that without the, that rushed feeling because mm-hmm. we all, you know, wanted to, wanted to finish, um, yeah, I think so. What happened was essentially like there was a there was a final dungeon and I just ended up cutting it. I was like when Mango and I went to get food, we're like, uh or at least I was like, eh, I could do that, but it's also not super like I felt it wasn't critically important. But there were some extra fights in there. There was like you could fight all three of the Lamia sisters together and like, like they come back from the dead. Well, essentially like the Lamia's souls are tied to the rune well, so as long as like Karzu keeps waking up, they can keep respawning. Mm. And mm. it was just more a practical matter of like, well, I could send them out in the world doing more corrupting things, but that's kind of irrelevant to the players. So there was going to be a fight there where we fought all three sisters at once. And, you know, the pacing just didn't work out. But, you know, it's, I didn't, the biggest thing that I cut, I think, is the Magnamar section, which was going to be like, you guys start in Ordelia and you have to kind of fight your way through to um, the arena where the Mandarin is, and along the way, your, like, the other arena teams, you know, kind of come to your help or not, depending on how you interacted with them early on in the tournament arc. But, you know, again, I think the tournament arc was a sore subject, so it was kind of best to let it go and save that content for another time. So so I, I think the, the, the thing that happens kind of at this end game is, is like, it, it makes sense kind of, like, from a world perspective that all the shit is going down, and you kind of have to fly between them, but it ends up, I think, feeling just kind of like one long extended dungeon, because there's not a lot of, like, story element to break that up, and I think that that can kind of get old. After, yeah. Like, yeah. like, like it, it's, it's literally a straight dungeon crawl for the entire, like, back end of, of you know, as, as soon as um, the, like, the, this kind of, like, sequence kicks off, and 
I think that can kind of that, that can feel like it drags. I also yeah. think that this is a game that is not conducive to that. I, you know, I would actually make the argument that a game like Iron Gods, the back end being that big dungeon crawl through the spaceship, it actually was like that worked really well, and I thought that that was kind of like the right. Uh, you're like story moment, right? And you got a lot of lore and it, it answered a lot of questions and the buildup had been there so that it made sense that the whole last book was just one, you know, one massive dungeon crawl kind of thing. But because of the way that this campaign worked, it would have felt wrong. It would have been like, you know, it would have been like playing through 90% of a game and it's like, you know, it's like a shooter. And then in like the last 10 minutes, it's like a... It's it's like thriller. it's like it's like farm Wait, like, farm like simulator every Halo game where they turn into a racing game. Well, yeah, I mean, even like I mean, even like less making sense than that, right? Like it's just completely mm-hmm. out of nowhere to kind of say. And I also think that it runs into the problem that I was talking about a little bit on last week's podcast, which is about con- content munchers, where you're kind of like. Okay, let me chew through, you know, we're just going to churn... This is just here for, like, this is just here to fill, yeah. Yeah, just here, and, and, you know... It's tasty filler, but it's still filler, kind of thing. Well, you know, and listeners of the podcast can can chart over the past couple of podcasts, right, like, my own experiences with that, where I was just cutting every kind of downtime combat, but that was making my... That was making the game too lean, and I actually needed to put some of that stuff, you know, back in in order to let... in, In order to let play uh, uh, kind of cut their teeth with their new powers and, you know, right. you know that kind of stuff, right? So, like, I think that there's kind of, there's it goes both ways to a certain extent, and what you're looking for is balance, but it absolutely would have been, I think, just, uh, just, an, just like, it would have been uh, uh, an exercise in frustration to have to, like, just churn more doors in a dungeon in order to get to, uh, in order right. to kind of, like, get to the end state. So, all right, um... I, so I just want to ask, like, what you know, what did I do well? What were you, what were the things that, like, as a GM, that I was very successful at, and what's some stuff that you guys would suggest I use to uh, improve my next game? Besides, like, the usual, don't be flaky, because you know we all know I'm a crispy toaster strudel as far as like <laughs> levels of flakiness. <laughs> a plus reference. Um. Hmm. Come on, guys! You're killing me. Uh, I'm just thinking. Yeah, okay. It's, it's all right. All right. This is a heavy question. Don't have so much press to Mark. Yeah. Yeah. This is be more patient, Mark. That's okay. a tip for you. <laughs> I actually think I actually think to a certain extent that is almost uh, uh, a tip, just in the sense of maybe like, um. I you know you you kind of get the sense sometimes that things were planned one way but executed another just because of impatience and I don't know quite how to demonstrate that point. Yeah, that's fair. I'm I'm, I'm thinking of it in the context. Of, okay, so I'm thinking of it in the context of all of the build up to cons stuff, right? But then the execution was like kind of like quick, and I and I guess to a certain extent it's a little bit of a um you know it's a little bit of like you know actually you know so I think Enoch is like an engaged player on on exceedingly his terms right like he's really into the game in his own way and unless you cater to his version of 
things. He's not going to pay attention or care, sort of. And so maybe it was a response to that, but yeah, I don't know. That's something that I thought of. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually that's actually an, an interesting point. Um, kind of like I feel like Enoch had his own arc in his head that none of the rest of us got to see. Um, just yeah. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, if, if, if shit you, behind his back, okay. Hey, no, you know what? If if if, nah, he, nah, no. if he enjoy if he got satisfaction out of that, right? Like he like you know he. I, I've heard him talk about, like, you know, like, how his character goes through this arc of being, like, a little bit less of, like, a shithead um, and being less aggressive. but And, like, it doesn't really necessarily play out in front of us, but if, if he thinks it's happening and he's having right. a good time, yeah, who am I to like, judge, Yeah, that's, right? like, that's all good to me, like, as long as he's having fun. Like, I that's, mean, this that's is exactly what's it. going on with that, you know, like, he's super into that one chick. I'm awful at this in Hell's Rebels because I want everybody to do my arcs, but... Um, you know, he's like really into like that one chick, and I just wasn't expecting that to be as much of a thing as it is. And so uh-huh. I've done him a huge disservice by completely missing that mark. Oh, wait, uh, which chick in your game? Lorelai Reynolds. You know what I mean? She was oh, just kind yeah, of yeah. supposed to be like a throwaway character thing, but he's like latched on to her <laughs> as like his, you know, like as his like his thing. And he keeps telling me like, "Oh, I sent a message to Laura." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, fuck! I forgot that this is a thing because I meant uh, like <laughs> to write this character out, right? It's just supposed to be part of his backstory, and then he moves on to doing stuff with the Lanin. But then now, I'm like. You know, anyway, I, yeah, that's, yeah, how, no, that's how I look at Enoch as a player. <laughs> yeah, but you know, that, yeah, yeah. Like, he was clearly way more invested in the Mandarin, right, than he right. ever was in his own heritage as a, yeah, uh, I, yeah, yeah or any, yeah. And, you know, like any of that mm-hmm. stuff with the bleak lands or any of that. I think there was, I think there was more I could have done on that, to be, yeah. Um, okay, so. Oh, one other thing I was. Yeah, go ahead, Jimmy. I was going to say another thing, it's not like a DM thing or just, but something in general to look out for, so it might be more, it's like a mix of player and DM thing. But there were a lot of times where we had to make a decision as a party, and then there's just like a lot of dead time and all of silence kind of before we actually decide what to do. And I feel like that probably gives trust to Mark more so than the players, but all around just like Mm -hmm. maybe that, like that sense of disengagement from when like we're not really sure what to do. And we're not making a decision. And then Mark's like, what, what, what are these assholes going to do? Come on. See, in a way, I, I don't know if that's... Uh, uh, that's like a problem that is kind of because... It's, of, we're not face-to-face. I well, well I also think... Well, so, I also think that it has something to do with the fact that we all want to respect the railroad. Right? You know, nobody wants to be the person that, like, takes the game, like, hardcore, really off track. Right? You know, like, you know, like, we all understand that that's a frustrating experience, and so we all kind of get, like, yeah, okay... You know, get on the tracks, run on the railroad. That's the that's the that's the way we play, sort of thing, right? But when it's unclear where the railroad goes, that creates a kind of um, like almost confusion because it's like, well, wait, where are we? Where do the tracks lead? Because I don't quite, I'm not quite picking up on that, and I don't want to run the campaign aground because, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, like it's a problem that I think is localized to us because we're being too respectful of the railroad and not being decisive enough because we know that it ex- it exists as players. If that makes sense, 
I also think that part of this too is that we've all kind of like we none of the none of the characters I think were like a necessarily a, a, a clear leader character, and we also were kind of all invested individually in our own things and less in kind of like the overall like there was no one in the party who was like I need to get to the bottom of this Sahedrin rune mystery yeah. so much right That's like, true. right like the wooden wanderer was like like i think this this kid like these characters can work when there's somebody who's kind of dry like someone who's essentially being the conductor to, to continue with the railroad analogy but all of us were kind of like you know like like wooden wanderer is busy spreading the word of the rot father and he's kind of along for the ride um and i think I think almost every one of our characters was kind of along for the ride, but there was no one <laughs> yeah. really like 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 to, to to kind of like be like to, to kind of drive to to drive it. Yeah, we've also kind of like done enough campaigns done at this point. Mm. We've also kind of done enough campaigns at this point that I kind of think that our natural game state when it comes to campaigns is to um, not bond together as like a gr- group. Right? Like, I would say that Erevay and Kenzo were friends, right? When mm-hmm. Kenzo was getting married, you know, when Kenzo was get- getting married against his own wishes, but it was also his idea because he wanted to solve a problem for his, you know, for the love of his life or whatever, right? He goes and he, he went and he talked that decision through with Erevay because they were friends, right? But he wouldn't have come to talk to Khan about that. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of, like, bond wasn't necessarily there. But I also think that that's not, that's not unique to the campaign. I think that's just kind of, like, how we play. The only time I think that this has naturally arisen in, um, like, in a campaign organically was in the, was in the Pirates game that I won't let go, where Mateo and Ralph, <laughs> uh, where Mateo and oh, Ralph were bro, kind man. of, like, weirdly, like, friends, and also oh, Mateo and Taylor. Taylor. There was the, well, because there was a great moment where, you know, there was a great moment where, you know, like, we took over the ship or whatever, and, um... And Mateo was like, okay, I'm captain. And then everyone started giving Mateo shit. And then Mateo was like, fuck, am I really going to be captain? And then Ralph was like, okay, Mateo, you're captain. And I'm like, that was a great moment, right? Like, but that's probably one of the only times I can think of us playing campaigns together where that's happened naturally, right? If that makes sense. So you're saying we suck at camaraderie. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's also kind of, you know, like it's it's a little bit of like you know how do um how do these these characters who are so how do you interface with the wooden wanderer right like the yeah, guys yeah. you know like how, he's how not do you interact like, with yeah, crazy religious nut on campus right like and i i think i think also like this is part of what i was saying earlier where everybody's kind of following their own their own storyline and we um i don't think any of us really put a ton of effort into into drawing each other into our own storylines. I think something that actually um, worked well for this was it was in Iron Gods having the ties that bind, even though that didn't have a ton of mechanical effect. It like, was supposed to. I just yeah, but gave but, up. But having that written in, I think, pre-generated a lot of that camaraderie, mm. right? Like it, it, it wasn't you know, it it wasn't perfect, but having kind of like the seed of that there at the start. I think helps drive those those kind of moments and in, in, in getting everybody uh, kind of t- together in that way. Um, when when it can be like it's the, obviously, like you said, it's not impossible for these organically. It, it happened in 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 the uh, beginning of the Skull and Shackles game, 
but um, if if uh, if it, when you have such diverse personalities, having kind of like a seed of something to to draw things together, because we we also did it in the first Lords um, iteration. I kind of like you know my tie was with was with Matt's character with with Stubby Nut Puncher, and I think that 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 actually worked to kind of foster. Like I thought Log was a much better friend with Stubby Nut Puncher than Wind Wanderer was with 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 any of the characters in this game. I think I had like the kind of like starts of like you know this kind of like weird rivalry thing with with Khan, but I didn't think that that like e- either Khan or I took the impetus to really develop that anywhere. We just kind of like played for laughs every once in a while. Um, but I, I think kind of like a, a system to to kickstart that can help with that overall. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like we we were bad at keeping that kind of we need to RP like our connections rather than just play through the game. So you kind of always have to be thinking and looking out for that. And we like never like met eyes or whatever. We're like, yeah, this is this is our character's like moment. So everyone had like a character story arc, but there probably should have been like episodes within things where you connect with other people in the party. And yeah, there's no yeah. like mechanical thing to to make yeah. that happen. And no one thinks about it that much at the time. Yeah, I, I also think that kind of really the things the things that can can kind of drive these connections are, like, points of disagreement, and I don't think, like, like in, in Hell's Rebels, right, I think a lot of the thing that builds, like, a lot of the inter-character relationships are us arguing over how to how to do things, mm-hmm. um, and there's just not a lot to argue over here. Like, we, ha- we had a, a brief moment of it, but I think we all kind of dropped the ball with it. Like, you know, Kenzo's like, I don't know why I'm even here. And we're all like, okay, go walk away then. Yeah, pussy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that is definitely true, that. yeah. Yeah, and I also think that there are, you know, like, there are some other things that were kind of, like, aborted that never went anywhere, right? Like, Kenzo came back from the dead, right? And that was an opportunity for him to get spiritual. And there could have been a connection, but, like, a spiritual thing between him and... Um, uh, him and uh, the Wooden Wanderer and all that stuff. Like you know, like we didn't we didn't make that, work yeah, or go anywhere, right? You know, so I you know, the, I think there are, uh, yeah, I don't know, yeah, like like uh, Arave and I had a connection through theoretically through the um the Margrave. We never yeah. we, we we never we never touched that like like uh. Yeah, I you know to a certain extent, I think that uh, I almost would want to say not just like the ties that bind, but like moving, having a group that is just a group instead of like oh a bunch of randos get together in a tavern, right? You know, or well, in a like prison, or, but like yeah, like an already established group, right? Like you know, I've been thinking about this in the context of Starfinder, um, but right, like you know, a version of Starfinder where you start and everyone is. You know, you've been on this ship working your role on the ship for six months, right? You guys are friends. You guys are a team. Uh, that's already inbuilt to everything. I actually think that that would probably work wonders for a group like ours because I think we've kind of demonstrated at this point that we're not naturally super yeah. inclined to uh... – Actually, so I've actually got an interesting – like this just popped into my head. Um, so I've, I've talked about this game. I've, I've never run it. It's a game called Spirit of the Century. But the opening session for that game is supposed to be character creation, and part of that is is it's writing essentially pulpy comic books. 
um, for your character where other characters guest star. And something like that as kind of like a very mechanics light, but like, you know, you you essentially tell a story where you did something and then other characters like, I'd like to be a guest star in that story. Mm. And you kind of like pull them and you explain like how that bound you guys together. Like, you know, like for, for instance, with this one, right? Like we do like, um, like uh, for, for Starfinder, right? We do an episode of Star Trek for each character where each character was the lead and other characters could jump in and be like part of that. Um, as kind of like the opening session to kind of like set tone and generate, um, and generate this kind of like party bond. I think that could work for for that kind of. <laughs> to be thing. honest, actually, I think I have actually played that. The the uh, I played a game of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which, by the way, was basically like one of the all time games I've ever played in my life. But that is exactly how the opening session was. It was or not the opposite. What it was is that it was actually uh, there were four people in the group. It was four. <laughs> solo sessions right um but one other person was there for your solos if that if that kind of like so it was the gm and you right and you were running through the thing and it was kind of a it was a mechanics tutorial mostly right but also a little bit of like here's let's establish your character in the world and somewhere during that session you have an interaction with somebody else who would later go on to be part of, you know, like this all happens in the backstory, right? And then you're like, oh, well, I go to the, you know, I go to the bar and up oh, there's a bar fight with this guy and he's, you know, and it's played by another player, right? It's played by Mango, even though it was kind of my solo session sort of thing. Um, and he and I exchange some words and kind of fist bump and then we move on. And then when the game starts and it's like in game, you know, a couple of, you know, however long after that sort of thing, we already have that 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 bit of kind of connective glue um that worked that worked fucking like gangbusters for that game and i bet something similar could work uh could work here for you know for us in in like a dnd kind of setting jimmy i'm interested uh what what are you know like so we've talked about people gming next and you are top of the list because Enoch, I guess, doesn't want to anymore. I don't know. He said something like that. Uh, what What are some of the things from Rune Lords that you feel like you want to pull forward, uh, like as a DM? I think Enoch was he wanted to run like that one campaign, like Giant Slayer or something, but we didn't like players didn't have an interest in it, and that just like killed his interest. Um, oh, I would play the shit out of Giant Slayer. I would play the fuck out of Giant Slayer. Okay, too, maybe by the way. maybe I'm just crazy. One hundred percent. I think it's mostly Giants. Mark who doesn't want it. Yeah, I feel like Mark doesn't like Giant Slayer. Yeah, I like. I think Giants. I'm interested in Giant Slayer from like a. Well, what are you doing? You're slaying giants, and then it's like a, a footnote about also slaying dragons. It's like, oh, I can build like a relatively, you know, like relatively straightforward character and just like have a ball with that right like yeah um although like i think there are also problems with that but we can talk about that at at at, at some other point but anyway to, to the original question jimmy jimmy how do you why do you want to dm and why what is it going to be to, to load the question rather like what what do you think about dming and and, and all that stuff so, like, the, the the aspect that seems enjoyable to me is, like, making encounters and things, or, like, running encounters where I'm more in control of, like, the opposing side kind of type thing to, like, kind of go against the party, in a sense, like, would be enjoyable. Um, also, would like to return the favor for Mark for being, for being our DM. 
Because I feel like you need to cycle that sort of thing in general. Like, you don't want the... I feel like Mark is maybe the type of person that runs at a higher percentage of the time than he plays. Not, like, actually greater, but, like, Mark seems to be, like, a running the game type of person. Yeah. And other people, like, Enoch is probably, like, only, like, a player. Like, Chuck Lose in the other game is probably only ever going to play, etc. So getting a pool of, like, people. Yeah, Uh, I... I, I like the idea of like making encounters and like editing them a bunch. Not not necessarily just editing them, but changing things to because like the whole building of encounters is part of it that it appeals to me. Which it might be bad because I might also just be bad at making or editing things. Well, I think you know uh, I do want to say that there is a resource um, uh, that uh, that I really put a lot of faith in, and so something you might want to do is um, go look up a podcast called Some Derps Talk About Games because there's mm. a lot of there's a lot of you know uh, advice in there for for how to build it like you know so for instance something that I think is really important <clears throat> to playing D&D is being able to telegraph to players how certain things work or happen because if you don't know what kills you and you don't feel like you had any agency in its ability to kill you that sucks right and this is mm-hmm. something you know for instance in hell's rebels the the easy version of this are shroud devils um a shroud devil pops up it has all of these mechanics it's a monster that i completely made from scratch nobody has ever seen this stat block before right you don't understand you know you don't know how to kill it you don't know what it does you don't know the kinds of damage it does but through that first encounter with one literally one shroud devil that like basically almost wiped your party you guys figured out the the um you figured out the mechanics uh well enough that you were able to you know later on in the game i can throw three or five shroud devils at you and you already know how to beat them right because you've met those mechanics before um and so i think that that like it's it's like it's a it's a quick arc of you know learning and then execution right okay here's here's a little here's a little tutorial this thing does a couple of things how do you how does it work how do you figure it out um Right, and then later, and that comes back later. Well, there's a whole bunch more of them, but I can fight them for real this time. I know what to do, sort of thing. Right? It's mm-hmm. it's hard in a certain sense because, if, for instance, in boss fights, um, a boss fight is internal to itself. You kind of can't telegraph that very easily without like splitting a boss fight into into multiple kinds of encounters or whatever like for instance the um you know there was the fight in the uh there was the fight in the ziggurat in the with the um with the priest who was really a shadow Mm -hmm. dragon right you know like that fight had a couple of mechanics to the you know he would he would Mm -hmm. snuff all of the light and everything was in darkness um, and he was doing kind of ambient AOE damage to people who are in range, and that range got bigger and bigger, right? But because that fight was all internal, I had to I had to put enough kind of time and not be punishing enough so that you can learn the mechanics in the middle of the round by round combat. But I think that like keeping that sort of thing in mind is important to you know design. Um, and by the way, I think it's also easy for, you know, Iron Gods had, had had a good example of this with force fields, right? Force fields are a mechanic that robots have, right? It's the same thing actually with like boiling blood in the Beastmen, right? Robots have force fields. We meet some robots early on 
They have these force fields. We get how force fields work. So now new robots are showing up, but they still have the same mechanic that we've already expected, right? The same thing happens with Beastmen, right? You've, you've, you know, looked at Beastmen. You've seen what boiling blood does. You understand that if you're in melee, you're going to have to start rolling saves not to get hit by it sort of thing. But now, you know, as you guys have progressed in levels, I can put more dangerous Beastmen, right? You've seen the Saigor, not that you've fought it yet, right? You've seen the Saigor at some point when you fight a Saigor, you know that boiling blood is probably going to be on the table. I think those kinds of things are, uh, are, uh, kind of th- th- like these are the bread and butter to, my thought process when it comes to encounter design. Uh-huh. Is Boiling Blood, like, your invention, or is that, like, with Yeah, it's entirely the, my okay. invention. Okay. It actually mm-hmm. really, really, like, doesn't follow... It, it's, it doesn't follow poison rules, like, normally. Uh, it doesn't follow disease rules. Well, the disease only procs at the very end, so that follows disease rules, kinds of, uh... of, uh... Normally, but yeah, I just made it up because I like stacking systems. I like the idea of like a poison that the more of it you get in you, the worse and worse it becomes for you. Um, and I like a poison that triggers when you do certain kinds of actions. You guys haven't, you guys were able to solve boiling blood pretty quickly, so. Sorry, Mark, you were going to say something? I took multiple like uh, spells to to counteract that in my like spell selection, which I like because there's like a point where. People always seem to pick the same spells. Like, Dimension Door is really good at level 4. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you also get, like, Cure Critical Wounds or whatever. And, like, you just take those. And then there's all these other spells that have a lot of, like, flavor and things. For, like, your, at least when I was looking through lists. And then it's like, yeah, I don't know which... I'm not, I'm not going to take any of these things. Like, for Arave, I don't think I ever took the maximum number of second level spells because I couldn't think or pick any of them that were useful, and so I just never added, like, a spell that I could have known, because they were, like, minimal impact, and they were all, like, weird. Like, I can impact people's dreams a bunch with lots of different spells, but, eh, that's not coming up in this game very much. So, like, I was always, like, only had, like, five known spells for level two. But you, like, made me take, like, some extra spells that I wouldn't normally have, have considered taking. Or, like, I was very focused. Hey, so, no, I mean, like, you know, lots of tips for Jimmy coming down the pipe, for sure. Um, so, yeah, just, I think, what, we're coming up on time, aren't we? And I think uh, we, we have, have about, about 15, 15 minutes. minutes left. So, just, you know, kind of lavish me with praise, if you guys would like. Like, what were, your, what were the kind of highlights? What do you like about my jamming style? Because we've kind of gone through, like, you know, be a little bit more patient, plan things out, like, a little less. Like, what would you, um... What did you like most about the game, and what's fun about playing in a Mark game compared to like a buddy game or a Mako game? Or... I think your biggest character trait, uh, the 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 most, uh, or the one that I appreciate the most, is the um, uh, kind of reflective nature to the story, I guess. Right, like you know, I and I think this is something that, in a weird way. Um, you know, like, this is something that's funny because it was almost a criticism earlier, but, like, my ability to direct my own story and being able to kind of, uh, right, like, work to that point. I like Kenzo's arc a lot. I think Kenzo's really cool and interesting. And that arc completed pretty early, you know, because kind of by the end-ish of book two, beginning-ish of, or rather, book three, somewhere in there, right? Um... 
but uh, uh, you know, it was something that I I thought of ideas and I wanted to implement them, and you were responsive to those, uh, which is what I think of as being the most valuable trait um, in your uh, in your GMing style, because it, you know. As somebody who thinks about this kind of thing or, you know, about my, like, characters a lot and what they're going through and where, what kind of, uh, how I want them to progress, um, being able to, being able to execute on that well is very valuable. Yeah, what about, uh, Nick? What did you like? Um... When it comes to the combat jamming, I inherently this is where I fall back to, but you tend to come up with some of the more interesting monster combats um, that I've seen, and it's definitely interesting in some of the main ways it's infuriated as to how to deal with some of these encounters. You, you certainly give more of a challenge than I do. Yeah, so, so uh, I've got I've got a thing to throw in here. Um, your your sense of your world is is I think super well nailed down, and super kind of like, like 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 I said like um earlier like the adventure fast feel kind of uh schizophrenic, and I think your version of kind of the world is is a bit more it is much more actually cohesive than than your standard kind of adventure path um, and, and kind of like pulling that all together and you putting in the work to kind of like connect all of these dots, I think ultimately is something that, that, that pays off in the end. And, and I, I, I appreciate that. One, one thing I appreciate that may not show itself, but feels to be true to me anyways, is that you have such a good technical knowledge of the rules of D&D because you've done it for so long that you can kind of make things run smoothly Whereas other people, like when I'm newer, things aren't probably always going to go smoothly because as a DM, I can't tell you the players things that maybe are like back related things. I'm like, fuck, what do, what do I do for this? And you've had a lot of experience with that type of thing probably. And so you usually have like a very good knowledge of like the technical mechanics and like know when to tell Nick to stop or whatever. And like <laughs> when things are okay. All right. Well. You know, thanks guys for playing in Rise of the Rune Lords. Um, out of five stars, what would you give it at, for, you know, including all the highs, including all the lows? Zero. Um, anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> this is a huge waste of time. <laughs> Final conclusion. Yeah, we all just waste our time like the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> all right, guys, don't play Rise of the Rune Lords. See ya. <laughs> Uh, you know, I actually think I would have really disliked it if I had played Rise of the Rune Lords under many other contexts. Rise of the Rune Lords does not sound to me like um, a very good adventure path. This is going to sound meaner than I intended to. It doesn't sound like a very good adventure path. Like when I hear it as written, it sounds kind of bad, which I get. You know, Paizo's first thing, growing pains, kind of like whatever and everything. Um, so. I think this is inherently going to be superior to that just because uh, we avoided a lot of the stuff that, uh, by all accounts, I absolutely think is awful. 
um, in in the in the way that game is structured. Yeah. I, go on. Sorry. I was gonna say uh, yesterday there was like a party in my house that was happening in the evening, and like you know I call it like the back end of that. You guys are more important, but. I was trying to explain to someone, because they're all cool people, like, about the campaign. Some of them, like, have played D&D before. And then I was telling, like, the general synopsis of it, and it sounded really kind of cliche. Like, yeah, there's, you know, a past civilization. There's, like, a sleeping evil guy underground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I so, mean... It, so maybe that's, like, a thing. But. So it, it was Paizo's first... It's the first Dungeon Path for Path So I think it was supposed to be a little bit cliche. Of right? Course. Like, it was, it was, you know... You, you it's a always, lot of throwbacks. It's it's yeah. You you want your you the first thing that your players land on to be something comfortable. That's kind of like the everyman adventure. You can get into the weird stuff about like the political machinations of a devil state or the uh, or or like barbarians and spaceships later, right? You can you can but you you want your your first thing to kind of be a little a little bit mm-hmm. vanilla. Um, it's kind of weird because I like cliche things though. So yeah, no, it's, it's, my it's, it's fair. Galarian as a world is weird because, like, like you have these regions and like it's it's almost like like you know the world like on the border like significantly changes like right there, right? Like, um, you go from like relatively normal normal land of Varicia to like, um, you know, I, I think Belkin Belkin the the York stronghold place, but oh, Belkin, yeah, yeah, what's up? It's like there are all orcs here. And then that butts up against, I, I think that butts up against Dumeria where spaceships are. And that butts up against the world where there's all demons. And it's, 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 it's very kind of the, the world is kind of schizophrenic in an attempt to kind of incorporate um, all these, uh, incorporate all these themes into one cohesive world, which I, I don't, frankly, I, I don't know why they did it that way. I don't know why, like. Numeria has to exist in the same world as Verizia. Just because they don't want to develop new settings. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's I think, also well, to I also allow... think that there's, there's something to being able to take a character from one game to another, if sure. that makes sense. That's fair. Um, you know, for instance, you know, th- this, this allows for the little bit of world building where Mateo and Taylor and Ralph are characters that I have stolen from Nick Skulls and Shackles game and brought into Hell's Rebels, right? It, it, as far as, you know, as far as those games are canon in the same universe, right? Like, kind of as far as everything works because, uh, I chose to make, you know, like, because the world exists in such a way that I can make that, I can make that happen. Um, and I think that's what they're trying to preserve. Sure. Kingdom um, of Cock is canon. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 do, I actually really do like the idea that kind of uh, all of these things are canon to one another. I haven't, I, there, are, there are characters from Rune Lords in Hell's Rebels, but I guess you guys just haven't met them yet. Um uh, so, but also, like, you know, Ralph and Ralph and uh, Colbjorn are in there. So, technically, theoretically, all three, all three of those yeah. games are in the same universe so far. Yeah, Atticus, yeah, Atticus is there too. Yeah, like I, I was good. Like I think it works for like, I think it works well for like Verizia to maybe Trilax to the Shackles and all that. I think that's right. I just think it gets a little bit like you know with like Ustalav and Iron area yeah. and shit like that. Yeah, like Atticus and Colbjorn are in Iron God, or 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 characters in Hell's Rebels, but they don't have they don't have like 
the chains. The, it's not like Atticus is like, eh, and yes, on my shelf is my chainsaw, right? Like he's. Just- That's true. Technically speaking, actually, I'm pretty sure those characters. I think that I think I can't remember the specifics in that episode, but I'm pretty sure they said that after they release, after they fixed Torch. Um, that they got, you know, they got a bunch of cash from that, and that's when Atticus was like, "Okay, I'm going to go study half orc culture, and Colbjorn is going to be my, you know, kind of traveling buddy." They basically um, just aborted the arc early, yeah, like, instead sort of, of following it through to the end. Yeah, I mean, you, like know, you know, unity. You're like, oh, you know, what's funny. Unity actually does happen because you guys met another guy who specifically references unity. You remember that priest that you could have recruited as one of your team? Oh, me- right, he, yeah, there's yeah. the android, and he has like a laser sword. Um, but, uh, but so anyway, that, that happens. It's just not necessary. So it's not technically the same universe, I guess. But anyway, the point is the universe, you know, like the, the world being like whole allows for those little callbacks. And I love that kind of continuity stuff uh, but that, you know, maybe that's just me. I don't know. All right. So I'm going to give Rune Lords three and a half out of so, five. Yeah, that's fair. It's worse than Reign of Winter, which I absolutely went balls for probably endless winter endless winter sorry uh i think endless winter was probably like a four and a half or a five probably better for iron gods because i think colbjorn was a worse character than kenzo this is just me talking for me really um i don't know all right three and a half from mark and buddy what about you mango uh huh I i don't know how to Hmm. Is, better, Just, is it better than your Rune Lords game with Tom, oh, Tom yes. Shanks? <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I, don't, I don't have very high opinions of myself as a GM. So I think it's probably better than any game I've run. Um, I, hmm. I think I think three and a half is is is, is kind of fair, right? Like strong, some strong elements, but like held back in other places. I I, I think I think I, I could be comfortable with three three and a half stars. I I don't want to rock the boat at this point. I have to go with the party. You can you can you, give, it's you also can give your it a first one, you so yeah. you're not you, you yeah I mean yeah yeah give, give it a four. <laughs> so Jimmy. I it's give okay. it exactly average because out of one, it is the one. Oh, okay. two point, wow. two point five. <laughs> exactly two point five. No, no. Oof. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. So that is the best thing for my metric. And without having other things to compare it, I, I probably will just go with it for a half. All right. Like and above I... average, but... Mm, I'd, I'd give it a four. I've read a fair number of the different Paizo adventures, both the PFS and some of the other campaign paths. And this is still one of the better written, even if it is very campy with cliches. Um, it's definitely on the high end. Um... Which sounds dumb, but it is what it is. Um, and I feel like it's sticking to the core cliches. Uh, it doesn't necessarily run things out the way that some of the other cliches do for some of the other adventure paths. Um, I mean, this is my second time, second, first time getting all the way through, but second time starting Rise of the Rune Lords, and I read a little bit to run. Uh, some sessions in the past. Uh, it has a lot of staying power, particularly with its opening. All right. Well, thank you know, thanks viewers for tuning in. Looking forward to the next campaign. Yeah. Um. If 
Uh, if you guys want to email us and tell us what you think, what you thought of Rise of the Rune Lords, for those of you who caught it live, unfortunately most of it didn't get exported to YouTube, you can um, email us at somedurpsplaygames at gmail.com. You can watch us play these games when we play them at twitch.tv slash somedurpsplaygames. You can um, talk, rate, comment on uh, SoundCloud and on iTunes and give us five-star ratings on iTunes. or so Give us ratings on iTunes. It's good for our metrics i guess i don't know um and you can follow us on twitter and whatever um links will all be in the description um for those of you who aren't uh buddy or i um do you guys do you you want if people wanted to follow you and you wanted to to be followed where where could they find you uh you can't all right (laughs) he's a libertarian uh (laughs) (laughs) sorry that's more of an inside reference for me i have a libertarian friend who's very like off the grid type of of things and that just made me think of that yeah no, that's, you can't that's, find that's fair enough jimmy yeah, do you, i uh okay <laughs> jimmy do you want to point anybody to to anything in particular like the, the do you want to do you want to preview what you want to run? Do you want to give us a sneak peek? Drop a trailer of your of your erstwhile campaign in a war. What I <laughs> might want to do is like I assume that they're coming out with like adventure paths for Starfinder. So yeah. Before yeah. that, I would like to do kind of like something that's like Magnamar esque, but like not as long as that. Like a city where you guys have like characters and there's like some sort of objective, but like. Instead of, like, a whole campaign, like, an episode, just, like, make a trial episode of something, and you guys would, like, start, like, level 5 or something. I am like level hardcore. One. I mean, I've said this before. I think there's some but... modules that work like that. Yeah. I am exceedingly, exceedingly into vignettes as as yeah, a, as a concept, and I think that's very strong. Uh... You could also add one to it. Like, if it goes well, have episode 2 at some point. So yeah. That, like, don't have to have it all together. I like smaller. I like smaller modules because I can build cheesy characters and then not feel bad about them not really being uh, useful at all. Little, you know, useful for like an entire campaign. Yeah. Um, what about you, Nick? Do, do you do you have anywhere that people can find oh, you? I, I do you had, want people to find yeah. you at? No, I. No, I don't. Let's be honest. Uh, Somebody wants to find you, Jimmy. Fuck you. No, no I'm oh, kidding. Jimmy, what, Jimmy. what was that? Oh, no, no, we no, didn't no, actually get your say, shot. So, if if I had to give a synopsis of a story for a city. Would I would do something where you have been, or like an idea of something I had was you have been employed kind of in some situations forcibly or maybe willingly as part of like an industrial company thing. It's like set in the same kind of fantasy world as this, but for some reason, either via blackmail or because you're a bad person, you're trying to go to another city and basically do like industrial espionage. Oh or, like, shit! Try and like rabble rouse the workers. Oh shit! Uh, the setting of the city would be like a university and a big like industrial complex. They're kind of somewhat linked, and then like a bunch Oof. of people and stuff. Oof. And your job well, like is what I'm to go in there and to fuck shit up and to steal their secrets because you are basically <laughs> working for the like, one. Are you just like taking revenge on Mike for making you a grad student for so long? No, I just is that what this is, is Jimmy? Is are you just are you just? From? Are you just jacking me off, or is that a great, <laughs> a wonderful campaign pitch? I love that idea. That sounds fucking awesome. I'm on yeah, board. Also, an idea that I had, but I think would be really hard to implement, was one of the people in the party is likely a nah, well, a campaign a would be like oh, traitor, it's a mole, dude, and, the fucking mole train. And maybe you Shit. can guarantee that there's one in there, and it's your job to both 
try and find out who that is because maybe it's advantageous. I want it to be advantageous for you in some way that maybe you can get out who, of being blackmailed if you can is do that. Secret Hitler. That's that's <laughs> that's awesome. I'm so hardcore if, if you were on board. all blackmailed into spying on other people, maybe because you have the ability to go in there and other people there actually for the other company can't just do that. They're they're known to work for them, so you need like non sequitur type people. Um, but then obviously one of them would be like someone that's just watching over, and then that player would get like privilege with the GM or something. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, buddy and Mango, anything to close? Uh, I, I, I did the outro spiel. Buddy, did you have anything else you wanted to promote? No, I'm good. All right. Well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.